You'll be delighted uh, to know that in the spirit of seeking unity amongst the churches, uh, we're working together. I've been doing some things with Jonathan Gordon, who is the vicar of St. Mary's just over the road. And, um, and next week we are doing a pulpit exchange. That doesn't mean I'm lending him this and he's lending me their great pulpit. But he's going to come and speak here and I'm going to go and speak there in a kind of a substitution sort of thing. And I don't know who was more shocked, the idea that he said that he was going to come here and he could speak for about 25 minutes to half an hour. He went very pale. Uh, and, he's, and I said, so how much time do I have at St. Mary's to speak? He said, oh, 10 to 15 minutes. <laughs> Some people transferring their membership as, even as we speak. I think they're in for a shock. But I'm going to practice. Let's turn to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 25, page 994. I love the Word of God. I love reading it and studying it and chewing on it and debating it with other people. It's one of the privileges we have of being in church and in church community. We are meant to be in church community, wrestling with these things of the Spirit and the words together. That's what we are meant to be doing. It's on page 994, and so I'm going to read this. If I wasn't speaking at St. Mary's next week, I would have got us to chew it over together for a while, but, but um, I'm just going to tell you what it says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise ones, whoever, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time coming and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, quick, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, they may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who already went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day nor the hour. If you have a look, just turn a page backwards. It's always very useful to read the scriptures in context. What is it that Jesus has been doing and saying just prior? And what is he going to say just after? So you've got the parable of the wedding banquet, those who are chosen deciding not to come. They're too busy getting married, buying fields, um, doing business, different things. And then it speaks about the, um, uh, the greatest commandment. And Jesus is beginning to talk about signs of the end of the age. He speaks about the seven woes in the chapter 23, the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. And then he comes to this parable of the ten virgins. And what he is saying is we've got to make sure that our relationship with the Lord Jesus is right. That's what the oil is about. Make sure your, your, your situation, your relationship with Jesus is now and current, not something that you used to have, not something which you think will be that, that you'll do on your deathbed, as I've heard so many people say. I'm not really wanting to follow Jesus at the moment. I'll do it later on when there's a bit more time and I've done all the other things that I want to do. He's saying keep it current. Keep your oil fresh and ready, the parable of the ten 
virgins. I was also delighted this week that uh, we had the World Day of Prayer event at church on Friday. It was great. We had a, a number of people from around the town and the churches. And, uh, and I was very pleased indeed that God had organized it so that the Lent course, which, uh, which some of us are doing, which I wrote, um, on the day of the, pra- the prayer for the, na- the um, World Day of Prayer, that, that day's prayer was was this. Pray for the first country that comes to mind. Look it up and pray for the needs. It's as if God had organized our 47 days to coincide with that. It's great when he does that. Um, Not so much for today, perhaps. Fast from as much food as you can. For those of you who are going to sun lunch, don't recommend that. But, But this sort of pattern of prayer and giving and fasting are the ways that we are going to keep our oil current. We're going to keep our relationship with the Lord Jesus fresh. We know, you and I, that um, as word and spirit people, that, uh, and, and as we read the book of Job, that God is at work and he will allow things to happen which are going to challenge us. If you read the book of Job, it's all about how God allows, not necessarily causes, but allows things to happen to wake Job up and to challenge him. And so this morning, just for a few more minutes, I want to speak about chapter 25 and verse 5. The bridegroom, for the, the sake of the parable, was Jesus. The bridegroom was a long time coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So I want to talk about that process of falling asleep. What is it that causes you to fall asleep besides your average Sunday morning sermon? which this will be an average Sunday morning sermon. Does that cause you to fall asleep? I'm sure it probably does. In a moment, I'm going to read to you a few pages, a couple of um, a bit pieces rather from this lovely book, The Four Adventures of Richard Hannay, which is very strange because according to the opening thing, there are five adventures of Richard Hannay, and I have no idea why it's only the four adventures. Never mind. I'm going to read from that, and I can guarantee you that there are some paragraphs of that that I've read one night, and then I've read the same paragraph the next night, and I've read the same paragraph the next night. Any of you do that, and you you fall asleep just as you, you get to the same bit. What is it then that has caused us as a society and as Christians to fall asleep. Well, perhaps it's the fact that there is water in our taps. Perhaps it is that there is food on our shelves, if not loo roll. I was sent, I was sent something today. People send me stuff and they say, uh, with the expectation perhaps that I'll send it out. But it says this, supermarkets are currently recalling toilet paper as the cardboard roll inserts are imported from China and there are strong fears the cardboard has been contaminated with the virus. The most recent purchases are deemed most likely to be contaminated. If you have recently bought bulk supplies, you are now at risk. Return, return the toilet paper and apply deep heat directly to your bottom to kill any infection. Don't wait until it's too late. And there's another a packet of uh, medication. COVID X19 Rational Pharma, it says. Anti idiot medication for the prevention of hoarding and panic buying. There we go. I don't know what you think about all those things. There are food generally on our shelves, there are cars and roads and trains and aeroplanes and communication and infrastructure. There are police at the end of a telephone. There is a well-resourced, relatively, um, NHS to help in emergencies. And for those who are able, there is also B 
super. There is decent, well-built homes that we live in. There is generally good politics, good legislation, good debate. There is excellent educational opportunities. There are rational and proportional media. <clears throat> There's alert and prayerful churches. There are TV and box sets which keep us entertained. There's an increasingly well-packaged amount of an array of sport, business and banks, investing in community infrastructure, good community schemes. There is a freedom of religious practice. All of these comforts enable us to mostly fall asleep to some of the main and great issues of our world, which are, in fact, sin, greed, and selfishness. And we sleepwalk our way through life because we have all of these things provided for. I'm going to read this mostly because I enjoy it, I like it. This is the beginning of the story called The Three Hostages, written by John Buchan somewhere in the 1920s or 30s. It's about this chap, um, Richard Hannay, who has been a major general in the army and has been through terrible fighting in the First World War and has now settled down. And he says this. This is quite lengthy, so feel free to put... Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. That's one for the teenagers. That evening, I remember as I came up through the mill meadow, I was feeling peculiarly happy and contented. It was still mid-March, one of those spring days where noon is like May, and only the cold, pearly haze at sunset warns a man that he has not done with the winter. The season was absurdly early, for the blackthorn was in flower and the hedge roots were full of primroses. The partridges were paired, the rooks were well on, their, on with their nests, and the meadows were full of shimmering grey flocks of field fares on their way north. I put up half a dozen snipe on the boggy edge of the stream, and in the bracken in stern wood I thought I saw a woodcock and hoped that the, nights might, the, the birds might nest with us this year as they used to long ago. It was jolly to see the world coming to life again, and to remember that this patch of England was my own, and all these wild things, so to speak, members of my own household. As I say, I was in a very contented mood, for I'd found something I'd longed for all my days. I'd bought Foss Manor just after the war as a wedding present for Mary, and for two and a half years we'd settled there. My son Peter John was rising 15 months, a thoughtful infant, as healthy as a colt and as comic as a terrier puppy. Even Mary's anxious eye could scarcely detect any symptoms of decline. But the place wanted a lot of looking after, for it had run wild during the war, and the woods had to be thinned, gates and fences repaired, new drains laid, a ramp put in to supplement the wells, a heap of thatching to be done, and the garden borders to be brought back to, civilization, to cultivation. I got through the worst of it, and as I came out of the home wood on the lower lawns and saw the old stone gables that the monks had built, I felt that I was anchored in the, at last in the pleasantest kind of harbour. There was a pile of letters on the table in the hall, but I left them. I wasn't in the mood for any communication with the outer world. As I was having a hot bath, Mary kept giving me news through her bedroom door. Peter John had been raising cane over a new teeth, tooth. The shorthorn cow was drying off. Old George Wadden had got a granddaughter back from service. There was a new brood of runner ducks. There was a missile thrush building in the box hedge by the lake. A chronicle of small beer, you will say. But I was by a long chalk more interested in it than what, I might, than what might be happening in Parliament or Russia or the Hindu Kush. In fact, the fact is I was becoming a mossback. In fact, I'd almost stopped reading the papers. Many a day, the Times would remain unopened. Mary only looked at it to see the first page to see he was dead or married. 
Not that I didn't read a lot, for I used to spend my evenings digging into old county history and learning all I could about the old fellows who'd been my predecessors. And on it goes. And eventually, his ideal is shot, rocked by these three hostages, and the story develops from there. He was woken up by the intrusion of the wider world. And I wonder what it is that's going to wake us up eventually to our need for urgent prayer, to our need for urgent evangelism, so that we, who've got the antidote for sin in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, will actually be willing to go and share that with people, people who are anxious and people who seem to be eating themselves from the inside out with all of the problems and cares of the world. We have something to offer people to help them. But actually, the first call to wake up is to us, I think. Some of us who casually, casually drift our way through our comfortable life. I wonder what it is then that will wake us up. I wonder whether actually the fact that the, 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 the food shelves are empty. I don't know what your general anxious fear is. I tend to, I tend to have a concern that we're going to run out of food if there are four flakes of snow. I don't know what makes you go out and panic by. Perhaps it's that or something else. There's no food on the shelves. Will that wake you up? What about if there's drought and there's no water in the taps? For some people, what wakes them up is that there's a hosepipe ban and their lawns are going brown. For some, they have physical or mental illness. Seems to be untreatable and running rampant. Viruses spreading around the world, waking them up to the reality of the vulnerability of life and the presence of sin and corruption. What if it's the fact that on the end of the telephone the police don't answer or don't come when you urgently need them or that there isn't a good and uncorrupt police service. Would that change your thinking as it does in many places in the world? Or perhaps it's politicians beginning to legislate in the most irrational and strange manner, going directly against the things of the Scripture. I have a particular anger, as you probably know, about the undoing of licensing and gambling laws, legislation, a free-for-all amongst the poor. But also at the moment, pressure on assisted dying legislation, the increases in abortion, some of the legislation around sexuality and gender awareness. As Christians, do any of these things, word and spirit people, do any of these things wake you up to pray? Or do you just tut and moan and go down to Costa Coffee? I wonder whether it's to do with the fact of homelessness or that homes are flooded. It doesn't affect me. My home isn't flooding, even though I live next to the Bullbourne, a major water source, according to a previous neighbour who had appointed himself as flood watch person for the Meads. What if the t schools that, we, that we're part of start teaching things that we disagree with? Will that wake us up to do something, to act? to write, to visit, to pray, to move? What's going to wake us up? What if our media became a little bit out of control? Any sign of that? Any sign of just complete nonsense? Unpredictable news reporting. 
24-hour news cycle, which seems to increasing. It, it, it reports the news and then exaggerates the news. It creates issues and then complains about the issues it's created. Anybody feel like saying anything or praying about it or doing anything, or are we just going to meander along? And as I've said before, you know what happens to the meanderfuls. Don't groan. That's my best one. I'll try it at St. Mary's, see if they get any better response. What if, what if our television begins to show terrible things? Is it, our, is, it our, is it our place to say or do anything, to pray, to write, to do anything? What about the impact that Netflix and social media has on our children and young people? I wonder if anything is going to wake us up from our general lethargy. I suspect that we are those like the boiled frog. You know the boiled frog? Hold on a minute. I really like the hymn we're going to sing at the end of the service. So go and get ready because we're going to sing the hymn at the end of the service. That, that's a good sign because that means that I'm just about finished. And so I want to leave you with this question. I want to ask you this question. Is your oil fresh and real? Are, are, are we in a position where we are receiving the blessing and the power of the Holy Spirit which is causing us to be able to respond to the things that we are seeing and hearing and that we are alive and awake to the things around us. Is our oil fresh or are we like the boiled frog? You know the story? You put a frog in boiling water, it hops out again. We go to other countries and we see their politics and we see their education and we see their healthcare and we see those things and we think something needs to be done. This is not acceptable. Let's raise money to do something, to go and help to do something. Brilliant what they were saying this morning. Let's do something. We go there, this isn't good enough. But I suspect that we're all slowly and gradually being boiled to death in our country as we are increasingly secularised. Gradually, slowly, culturally, being lulled to sleep and death and eventually the, the, the disintegration of our great country and our great world. We need to wake up, I think, and I begin with me. Let's stand together.